the rise of analytics in baseball, the effect of a good manager, sticky substances, and more. On today's show, we will have insight and stories from former Major League catcher Devin Mezzarocco. Beat the Shift is next. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, Ruvain Guy. How are you, Ruvain? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm excited to have on our next guest on the show. He spent his career playing with the Reds and with our New York Mets at the very end. Career 232 hitter with 58 career homers and 192 RBIs, a walk rate of 9%, an excellent contact rate of 80%, with a career ground ball rate of 40%. He had a tremendous 2014 season where he hit 273 with 25 homers and 80 RBI, accumulating 4.2 war that season. Welcome to the show, Devin Mezzarocco. How are you? Good. How are you guys? You could have just left the 320. I don't think anybody would have checked that closely. (laughs) That would have been a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, definitely, that would have been uh, slightly better. But uh, fantastic career so far uh, of yours. And, uh, you know, just for you, question uh, to start is, uh, you know, do you have any plans to come back to the major leagues right now? And if not, you know, what are you uh, up to the uh, – what are you doing at the moment uh, in your life right now? Yeah, I definitely do not. So, uh, you know – one, I don't know that I'm allowed uh, with the way that my career kind of finished up there with the Mets. Uh, and two, I, I'm just not good enough anymore, you know. Uh, after my injuries, my all-star year there in 14, you know, I was basically a uh, replacement-level player for four years, right? Uh, and certainly injuries had something to do with that. And, uh, but I just wasn't good enough. You know, I, I got into free agency and there was a lot of teams that called, but you know, nobody really, uh, wanted to give me a major league contract. So to me, you know, the writing was on the wall. I wasn't quite a major league player anymore. And, you know, I didn't really have the, uh, I didn't have the grind in me grinding through all the injuries to kind of go back to the minor leagues and earn it again. So, you know, it just kind of finished up the way that did and you know i went home but right now you know i'm in a good spot so i live in pittsburgh i uh i have two young kids so i i get to be a full-time dad which is you know obviously a joy and i get to be a part-time uh baseball coach here i'm the volunteer assistant for the university of pittsburgh so i get to go down there and help those kids out and and be around the game and coach with some good coaches and, and and I love it so you know I'm in a good situation where I get to be a dad and and, and get a little bit of baseball in my life and I'm very happy doing that well you, you had an eight-year career spanning two teams the majority with the Cincinnati Reds what was your quote-unquote breakthrough moment what was like the highlight of your career during that time yeah definitely so at the beginning of 14 uh, I started the year on the DL which was you know kind of frustrating because at that time they had just traded away Ryan Hannigan. They were kind of counting on me to be the full-time guy. So I started the year on the DL, ended up missing like the first 
seven games, eight games, something of that nature. Then I came, got back and started to play, uh, and I started the year 26 for 52. I was batting 500 through my first 50 at-bats, and it was like, man, all right, I can play up here. You know, I am good enough. Uh, and that, that was really it, and that, that was my all-star year. That was really the, uh, the only good year that I had. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was definitely like, man, I do belong here. You know, this is, this is a lot of fun. This is what it's supposed to be like. Well, you did play with the Reds from 2011 to 2018. You were on some good teams. You were on some okay teams. And the pitching staff had a lot of turnover. Did the pitching, did the plan for, for a game, did they vary for pitcher? Or did a game plan include saying, like, let's say we don't want to go after, we don't want this guy to beat us from a certain team. Did it change by, by pitcher by pitcher? Um, and did, you, did your approach change at all? Uh, yeah, I think that I could, you know, that, that's a question that you can answer a number of ways. So I had a coach in the minor leagues that, you know, he talked about game planning, obviously, you know, coming up through that's part of the job for a catcher to learn just, you know, how are we going to call pitches? So his thing with game planning was we want to pitch to the pitcher's strength, the batter's weakness, and then the situation of the game. Uh, and, and that somewhat holds true in the big leagues. Now, things change somewhat because big league starters can kind of pitch to any game plan. So with those guys, you can they, – they can just do anything. They can put their fastball in all four quadrants of the zone. They can throw their off-speed pitches to both sides of the plate. You know, most good big league starters. Uh, so you kind of go more towards batter's weakness and situation of the game where you kind of have to – uh, make that adjustment but you know relievers for me were always man let's just pitch this guy's strength typically those are guys with quality stuff those are guys that are more you know two pitch as opposed to uh three or four pitches so you you, you with relievers you more so pitch to the pitcher's strength so all that certainly came into play and, and yeah you would have a meeting before every series and say hey you know this guy's really taught swinging the bat well. The guys behind him are not as swinging the bat as good. You know, maybe we'll, we'll don't let him beat us this series. Or, but so you have a meeting with the relievers every series, and then you also have a meeting with the starters before every game. And you just kind of go through the lineup, talk about how you want to pitch them, uh, and that's really it. You know, it, it's a it's a collective effort with. The catcher, the pitcher, the pitching coach, you know, a lot of front offices will send down the analytic reports. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, all of that is kind of forever changing, right? There's not one set way to go about it. Now, before, I, before I ask any other questions, um, who is the best pitcher that, that you ever caught? Oh, DeGrom, right? I mean, there's nobody better than him. Uh, is that right? Yeah, I, 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 I mean... I, I couldn't I couldn't imagine anybody being better than Jake. Uh you know, I I caught Johnny Cueto a little bit. Uh you know, Homer Bailey when he was healthy there with the Reds was very good. Matt Latos had some good years with the Reds. Uh obviously caught Araldis Chapman who is kind of you know, a league of his own as far as uh re- relievers. But I mean Jake is unbelievable. Uh it it's it there's you know, everybody sees what he does day in and day out now. And he was, you know, he was every bit as good the year that I caught him in 18. I think he, uh, 
he finished the year with like a one seven or a one eight ERA. I mean, he was unbelievable. Yeah, you know, well, we do a lot of analytics here. Uh, this is the FanGraphs uh, Beat the Shift podcast. I write for FanGraphs, um, and analytics is very important to me. Um, in the last ten years, in the last five years, analytics has really propelled, and more and more analytics have been incorporated into the game. Um, throughout your career, did analytics really change uh, from your perspective? Did did you get more and more involved in it? And how did, how did analytics in general affect the way that you prepared for games? Well, I've always read fan graphs, and, and uh, I would consider myself to be more on the analytical side than, than maybe some players. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, all this stuff is is just like more information, right? Uh, and it's not some crazy stuff that change, you know, people get all worked up about it, but it's just information. And for me, like, uh, you know, I always felt like the more stuff that I could digest and the more stuff that I can know is, it's going to help me. Uh, so, you know, certainly the way that analytics, has kind of evolved, you know, it's always changing or not changing. It's always growing, I guess. Right. So I would say whenever I first came up and this is just an example, but, uh, batting average on balls in play, right. That was kind of like a big thing. Uh, and now with all the stat cast data and all of that information, you know, it, it, it that doesn't quite mean what it used to be. Uh, I, I know whenever I had that, stretch where I was 26 for 52 uh, at the beginning of 2014. Oh, well, you know, his batting average on balls in play is, is, is what it is. Well, I was squaring up every dang ball that I hit. So, you know, I would have loved to have stat cast back then because I, I know what I was doing and it was like, oh man, you know, uh, that would have been really cool to kind of see how many barrels I had and things of that nature. But, you know, it's always evolving. It, to me, it's just information. It's nothing to get scared of or get all worked up about. It's a great take. You know, you mentioned that, that you're uh, working at the University of Pittsburgh. And you know, just as a follow-up, um, how deep is, does analytics go in terms of levels? Obviously, they're incorporated in the minors, but does it go all the way to the college level? I think some colleges, right? Uh, I think some colleges definitely involved that you see more shifting you see uh with certain teams you see things that are maybe you know uh, you see teams throwing a lot more off speed pitches certain teams uh you certainly see not it's it's definitely not as encompassing as what it is in the major leagues right like college for the most part i would say is more old school more uh you know guys who have been around for a long time in charge so uh you know they may be stuck in the ways and they've had success and they just keep rolling with what they do and there's nothing wrong with that you know that there you can still win games with not shifting and in doing some of the more analytical stuff but uh it, it's definitely down in this at this level no doubt
you know, one thing we, we've noticed is that over the course of the last couple of years, pitchers' innings in baseball, pitchers' innings per start, I should say, has trended downward. Um, you know, do you see a rebound, or do you see this as a trend that will just keep continuing for the next couple of years? Yeah, yeah, I expect that trend to just continue. I think that pitchers, you know, obviously the third time through the order, uh, it kind of affects everybody, right? It It's not a... Well, if you're good, you know, you just are a little less good. And if you're bad, you're even worse. Uh, so I think that it makes a lot of sense. I think that at some point we'll see staffs that, you know, maybe don't even have a designated starting pitcher. They just have 13 pitchers, right? And guys just throw whenever they want, throw three and four innings. Uh, or maybe they just have one or two guys that go five, six innings. Um, I, I don't expect the uh, – guys to be throwing a, a ton of innings or you know running five guys out there for seven plus innings a night certainly not I think the different looks as a hitter it makes it a lot more difficult uh so yeah I mean I I, I don't, certainly do not expect that trend to change now changing topics just a bit I want to get into a little a sticky subject so to speak what's your take on this whole sticky substance ban how long have pitchers been using this combination of sunscreen and rosin or other things yeah, I mean that's 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 been commonplace forever, and I don't think that it's been a secret. I think that everybody's kind of known about it. Um, now I can't speak to the last couple of years when the spider tax stuff and and everything has kind of evolved into that. Uh, but you know, certainly guys have used pine tar, and certainly guys have used sunscreen and rosin, and maybe some firm grip or something like that. So yeah, I mean, ever since I've been in the big leagues, everybody you know, was using that stuff and nobody really made a whole lot of difference. Now that, now that we can measure that, you know, it's effectively making pitchers better. Well, you know, that kind of changes things, right? Like as a hitter, you know, well, I don't want this guy with 300 extra spin, you know, I'd rather just have his regular stuff. So I think that the decision that they made was a good one now to do it in the middle of the year i'm not quite sure about that uh you know it's not like this was a secret it's not like nobody knew about this the commissioner's office knew about this had to have well before the beginning of this year so maybe they just wanted to collect the data and see for themselves but you know it wasn't a surprise like this 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 has been going on so you know i thought they probably should have gotten out ahead of this in the beginning of the year if that's something that they had known was happening which they had to have well we know that it affects spin rate and we know that it does uh help the pitcher's grip um the question is you know what is more affected do you think that it's more about the grip more about the spin rate i know that uh, tyler glass now has spoken that he doesn't need it for the spin rate that's who he is but it's the grip that affected him and Glass now blames this change midseason as to the cause of his injury. He directly relates that. Do you think that it, 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 it's just a grip thing, or do you think you know guys like Garrett Cole, who were markedly worse in the last couple of weeks since the change, do you think it really affects certain pitchers more than others, uh, or is it just across the board helping in both? Well, I think just both, right? Like, it certainly helps you get a good grip, and at the same time, you know, mm, maybe you unknowingly realize that it helps you get some extra spin, but 
you know, based on the numbers, it certainly seems to, uh, with all the guys that have kind of had significant change after the the uh, the checks started to happen, right? So, you know, if sure it helps your grip, but you know, it's it's helping you get people out too, right? Uh, I mean, I think that's pretty well proven. Well, you mentioned that you did catch Aroldis Chapman, and he looks like he's one of the pitchers who may have been affected by this lack of proper grip now. Do you think, do, from what you've seen the way he's pitched recently, do you think, if you've seen him, have, do you think that it's affected him at all? And should MLB ban these substances totally, or should they just go back to the way, the, the way it was where they allow some sort of sticky substance? Well, so Chapman, you know, I, I wanted to say if somebody would look through Chapman's career, there's always been like a spurt each season where he struggled uh, and it's always in a couple games in a row you know I, I I'm almost certain back to 2012 2013 even 14 right like there there was a three game stretch where he just gave it up and so it seems like he's in one of those ruts now right where he can't get anybody out uh, whether he's using stuff I, I have no idea uh, I, I don't really know what Chapman was or wasn't doing or certainly don't know what he's doing now but so I can't really say that it definitely affects him uh individually you know I think Chapman's gonna be just fine either way he's throwing a hundred you know uh and he's, he's got a better slider than than what I thought he had whenever he was with the Reds there but anyway uh I I, I think that they need to do something to help the guys definitely get a grip. And whether it's the Japanese ball that it has a little more tack to it or find a different way to rub them up, find a more uniform way to rub them up and then store the ball. I, I don't really know what that answer is. Uh, but, that, I mean, certainly you want to have pitchers feel comfortable gripping the ball, but at the same time not completely alternating uh, – completely changing the way that they pitch with their spin rates and things like of that nature. Uh, you know, so I don't know. I, I don't, I don't necessarily have the correct answer, but they, I think they need to get something that a lot of pitchers and hopefully they get the input of actual pitchers. Right. And, and they get the input of actual guys that are playing and uh, you know, get this thing right. Now, um, when they actually with this ban or the, the checking the pitchers in place, they actually also did it for the catchers. Have have you known? I don't want you to give any trade secrets away, but have catchers ever been known to do this type of thing? Also, to have some stuff to help oh, the pitchers yeah. along? No, that's true. Yeah, that's a fact. I would put uh, pine tar on my uh, shin guard, you know, to get a grip for me whenever I was kind of steel. But yeah, there's times that I would help a pitcher out, so to speak. Yeah. Um. Let's talk a little bit about coaches and coaching. What do you think is the biggest impact that an MLB pitching coach can make on a pitcher? Yeah, so pitching coaches, uh, I, I would say that I've had guys that are good at different things. Uh, some guys are really good at breaking down and helping a guy with their mechanics, uh, and that can definitely help. I've had guys that are really good with game planning that can – really give the pitcher the catcher a game plan that hey this is where we have to follow this is this is what's going to help you uh and really help you out that way and at the same time i've had really good pitching coaches that like are good at 
coaching like mentality, like the ability to just go out there and get after these guys. Uh, so, you know, I think that certain coaches are uh, maybe really good at one area. Some can span different areas. But there's a lot of ways that you can help a guy. You know, another way is just like being a good communicator, right? Like when you're in the big leagues, uh, you put a lot of pressure on yourself. You, you, you feel like, you know, I have to do this, I have to do that. And, you know, sometimes you, you have coaches that really don't, you know, they don't talk to you a whole lot about, you know, how you feeling, what, what, how things going for you, you know, and, and really getting, gaining the pitcher's or trust or a player's trust. And, and that can make a big difference, just having a guy be comfortable, you know, up there and not pressing and, and not trying to do too much. So there's a lot of areas that, you know, a pitching coach or a coach in general can help a guy out. Uh, and the, those, those that I mentioned are certainly some of the ways, you know, that I've experienced it. So, well, which coach or, or manager along uh, the way in your career has affected you the most? And, and also, if I might ask, you know, what what effect does the, the manager of a ball club have? Especially nowadays, I would assume that a lot of the lineup detail is more coming from up above in analytics. Um, you know, how, how does a manager influence a ball club these days as well? I think, you know, and I can speak to a... a a personal story that I had and this was with Dusty whenever I was a young player I wasn't quite sure where I was you know I wasn't quite sure if I belonged I, I was up and down this may be this might have been 2013 I think my second year in the big leagues and Dusty called me into the office uh, he kind of seen that I had been down you know and not uh, super happy with how I'd been playing so he called me in the office this was in Pittsburgh and, you know, Pittsburgh, I always had like 50 people there uh, cheering me on, my family and everybody. So it was always like a bigger series for me than maybe for some. And Pirates were very good at that time. So, you know, he just called me in and said, you know, what what's going on? How are you feeling? Uh, what have you been thinking at the plate? You know, you're doing a good job behind the plate, but we, 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 we're going to need you. Like, you, well, I can't see you be down on yourself or expecting somebody to pinch hit for you like we're we're in the thick of the playoff race like we need we believe in you you're not here because uh you're not here just because like you're here because we believe that you could help us win and that meant a lot right because as a young player you you don't quite have your footing underneath you where you know that you can do it so that night i I don't know if I started the game, but in the last inning, I was facing Mark Melanson. And Melanson at that time was, you know, and still is a very good closer. Uh, but at that time, he was one of the best in the game. You know, I'd barely given up anything all year. And I had like a 10 or 12 pitch at a bat that I, I drove in the game-tying run in, in like the seventh or in the ninth inning. And it was like, man, you know, that I could attribute it all down to that talk, right, where Dusty brought me in, knew how I was feeling. It just gave me some confidence to be able to go out there and, and, and just be the guy that they knew I was that I may have not quite known that I could do it yet, right? So uh, that, that was a 
big moment where I thought a manager made a difference. And I think that a lot of it involves keeping guys interested, keeping guys happy, making sure guys are aware of their roles. Uh, you know, all of that stuff uh, makes a big difference with the ball club, just kind of having a good pulse on things. And, and, and Dusty, you know, obviously, he, he's done it for a long time and, and has had a lot of success. So, you know, he, he, he obviously is very good at what he does. Now that's a fantastic story um, to really hear the insides about, um, you know, what managers can say. And uh, great to hear that about Dusty. Now, b besides the managers and besides the coaches, which player would you say you idolized the most coming up or which one were you closest to when you came up or when you were coming up? Uh, this is another story, but so uh, we were playing the Yankees and Jeter was my guy growing up, right? Derek Jeter was, he was everybody's guy for the most part. I mean, he, he was, uh, you know, he was just Derek Jeter, right? So we were in Yankee Stadium. It was either my first or second year. It was a close ball game and I, uh, we had a guy on the mound named Logan Andrusik, and he was okay. Uh, he, he he had a, like a sinker and a cutter, and he threw a little split and, you know, a little loopy curve. Uh, and we were facing Jeter. And so I think we had thrown a ball or two, and I so I called time. I went out there to talk to him. Came back, and Jeter goes, well, what would you tell him? And I, I literally couldn't get any words out of my mouth. It was like, I, 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 I don't know. You know that, it was like I couldn't say anything. I went back into the dugout and I told all those guys that uh, uh, I just, Dieter, Dieter asked what I told him. I told him, well, this guy stinks. Just strike his ass out. Uh, but I actually didn't say that. I wish I would have said that at the time. I'm sure he would have appreciated that. Uh, <laughs> But I was just completely locked up. And, and that was the guy. That was the guy for me. That was the one guy that got in the box and it was like, oh boy, you know, that's their tier. Uh, that was pretty cool. That was, that was really the guy that I looked up to uh, as a kid. So, you know, uh, definitely him. But, you know, obviously got to face a, a lot of guys that were really good players and guys that you looked up to growing up. But, yeah, definitely Jeter was that guy for me. Yeah. Who are you closest with now, um, uh, as you look back? Uh, I still talk to a handful of guys that I played with with the Reds, you know. Uh, talk to Joey probably once a month, Joey Votto, who, you know, has obviously uh, had an unbelievable career. Uh, Zach Cozart was someone I came up with, and we played together in the minor leagues and then in the big leagues a lot, so he's a good friend. And Todd Frazier is another good friend. Uh, the Mets guys I talked you know, I, I did get, in the short time that I was there, I got very close with the pitching staff. And those guys, you know, I, I really felt uh, a lot of connection as far as playing, but also, you know, off the field, playing cards, hanging out. But so I, I you know, I probably talk to Jake once a year and Steven Matz, I text all the time. Uh, uh, say hello to Jack Wheeler every now and then, but you know, for the most part, everybody lives in different areas, right? Like. Uh, in baseball, you just end up texting guys in, in, you know, especially where I'm from, right? Nobody lives in Pittsburgh. The only guy that lives here is, is uh, me and Neil Walker. Uh, there, there ain't that many ballplayers from this area. So uh, for the most part, you know, just keep in touch. 
and fans in different cities give you obviously different reactions. How do you think it was last year for the players playing without any fans in the stands? Do you think it made a difference with some players' performances? Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's tough for me to speak to. You know, I, I think that um, at the end of the day, when you're in the big leagues, you're a professional, right? And you know what you need to do to perform. You know what you need to do to go out there and play. Uh, well, certainly it may have uh, took away a little of adrenaline, for sure. Uh, I could see that being possible. But, uh, you know, I think that guys are take enough pride in their work that, you know, they're going to go out there and show up and be ready to perform either way. Well, thank you so much, Devin, for coming on the show, spending some time with us. Um, everyone, you can follow Devin at on Twitter at DMezzarocco. Uh, please do. Uh, Devin, uh, you want to just tell everybody uh, what, uh, what you have uh, going on right now in the next uh, couple of months? Yeah, not much. I mean, the, the Twitter, I never had one when I was playing. I figured yeah, yeah, it may just get me in trouble or something. But, uh, you know, now that I'm a coach, I got to follow all these these young buck players that uh, Pitt is looking at. So I get on there and you know put a little bit of stuff out. But uh, for the most part, I will enjoy the summer here with my family, and then we'll uh, start up fall practices down at Pitt, and uh, you know go from there. We had a good year last year. We'll see if we can do it again. All right. Well, uh, that's the end of our show here on the Fangraphs Beat the Shit podcast. Uh, from all of us here, have a wonderful all-star break. We'll see you on the other side in our regular spot next week. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.